1922, a long time ago, there were three regions, portions of land that wanted to unite, and they did. Those uh, that don't understand or don't really know geography very well, all of these regions were north, if you would, and west of the Black Sea. Below these regions, there was Bulgaria, of course, and uh, Moldova, and there was the Romania, and then below uh, and to the east a little bit of Bulgaria would be Turkey. Um, these regions desired to be able to come together and make an agreement, and that became the USSR, 1922, December 1922. Um, I think that what's going on today in that particular region of our world is something similar to a desire to get that back, the USSR. We know it as the Soviet Union. We know that uh, there was a desire to have independence by the Ukrainian people. They have been under oppression through the years by Germany and then also by Russia and uh, were able to get their liberty and their freedom for many, many years. They've had the ability to be able to go back and forth and have the same thing that we've had here, all of these lands. And all the pastors are saying that they're hoping America will wake up and realize how well we've had it all these years and and realize on the world scene that things are happening and we can't stick our head in the sand. We would like to do that. We would like to say, well, America's going to just go back to where it was like. And no, the whole world is changing, folks, whether you like it or not. And I think the next land that will be underneath the oppression of a dictator will be the land of Taiwan. And so we need to pray for that. The two world leaders are coming together, and uh, that is uh, Putin. And also the leader of and the president of China uh, have made somewhat of a pact, and we're thinking about how we would respond. I know I'm getting a lot of, uh, not a lot, but a few uh, texts from people that are talking about pastors that are on the east side. This morning I put it on Messenger uh, that they did have services yesterday. They not only had services, but on the way through checkpoints. Now, whenever a country is under war, there's going to be certain places that you can't go, certain bridges, certain roads, and so they put up checkpoints. And so these pastors had to go and hit seven different checkpoints, uh, had to show their papers who they were seven different times uh, to get to church yesterday, uh, and and to realize when they got there that the place was packed. Now, I had been in Romania after Ceausescu had died, and I was able to go into churches when they were packed. Now, it didn't matter if they started on time, because as one point where I was going to preach in a small town, I was wondering when I was going to preach. Josh, you were thinking last night, I'm going to be preaching soon, so you're, you're thinking, you know, when is that coming, you know? And, uh, and I asked the pastor, I said, uh, the, the translator, when am I going to speak? And he said, we're not going to go to church till the cows come home. <laughs> I thought he was just joking with me. And uh, so we're sitting in this little village, and we're hearing these clip-clap, clip-clack, and people were already coming. Uh, we were just two blocks away from the church, and I could hear them singing, I could hear them uh, speaking, standing up. I could hear all of that going on. I'm thinking, well, I'm the one speaking. I probably should be up there. They said, I'm not going to go until the cows come home. And I'm um, sitting there in a chair, and all of a sudden, this cow went by the window. And uh, 
literally, they come like crazy. Oh, time to go to church. And so we got into this little buggy and horse, and we went up to the, they're about 100 years behind there at the time. It was 1994, somewhere in there. And I, and I got to go into the house of God where the people were standing room only, and they had old instruments on the walls that were all banged up, and they grabbed their instruments, and then they went to the platform, and they played them, and then they had me speak, and how do you speak to these people? I had an interrupter, of course, you know. And, uh, but it was a really a, a joy for me to see the freedom and the liberty that they sensed. And uh, I said, even with being in bondage, you can still have the Spirit of God with you, but it is wonderful when you can gather and be able to uh, preach the Word of God and see each other, and so it is now in the Ukraine. And they're experiencing this. Chalchesko, of course, was, was shot, and I got to see in, in, um, in uh, Bucharest, I got to see the building that, that he was standing in, giving a message when he was shot, uh, when he was rushed away anyway. And uh, I, I was thinking about how that these people now are, are living lives where the, the missiles are coming in. How many of them have been in combat? I know that when I was in Lebanon, we were having uh, missiles coming in all the time, and they were ruining buildings. Um, going out and seeing all of that, every day it looked a little different. More buildings were, 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 were you know, uh, blown up, and uh, more missiles hit, more people died. Um, and, and seeing all of that and, and seeing war and hearing of the rumors of war and seeing all of the things that COVID did to us and the, the mandates through all of that and seeing what's going on in the banking system in the world. And, and it, you know, it looks pretty ripe for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we're thinking about Putin and his desire to move into the Ukraine and to go back and to take these three regions again and, and kind of revive the USSR, that's what he's doing, and making a name for himself and be able to, and he'll do anything he can to achieve that. He will blow up a nuclear plant and he will eliminate a lot of lives just to accomplish the USSR again. And uh, will he achieve it? Um, I don't know. It's up to God, isn't it? Up to us as the United States, if we would uh, not like to have World War III being thought about, but it's something that we should maybe think about and maybe prepare for. If you do not know how to can food, I think you should. Go on YouTube. If you don't know how to butcher a deer, go find out how to do it. If you don't know how to catch fish and fillet it, learn how to do it, because we may need to go back to that someday. The Ukrainian people are running for their lives. Pretty soon it'll be two million people have left the Ukraine, going into Poland, fleeing this madman that wants to revive the USSR. 1922, December. Here we are, 100 years later. Maybe December is his goal. Maybe he wants a 100-year anniversary celebration of the USSR. It is a possible thing. And as we think about this particular uh, contemporary issue that's happening in the world today, as we're thinking about that, how are you doing concerning your kingdom? Are you of this world? Then you can go ahead and, and live in this world. But I'm so thankful that I'm part of the kingdom of heaven. I'm so thankful that I'm part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So I was thinking about what I wanted to do for today's message, it couldn't help but go back to Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can look at this particular 
geniusness of writing. It, it starts out with an introduction, the first four verses. Many of you have never really seen the introduction and looked at it. This is an introduction. This is a preface to a book. And he writes it. Luke, he's a physician. Very well put together. And God chose him to be able to put this together and for us to be able to have it. After he's done with his introduction, he announces what's going on when it comes to Herod and uh, the king of Judea, the days of Herod. He talks about the course of Abiah and Zacharias and Elizabeth. And uh, both of these were righteous before God. And so God was going to bless them because they were blameless before the Lord. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And we know that John the Baptist had come out of all of this. And as we understand that he was going to have a cousin, if you would, um, humanly speaking, and his name was going to be Jesus. And all of that is actually announced in verses 26 through 35. But as we look at just for a few minutes here this morning and understand that there was a verse here that I want to point out, verse number 33, it says, and he, he shall reign, talking about Jesus, over the house of Jacob, or Israel, if you will. Um, and by the way, I've been thinking about this a lot lately concerning the nation of Israel, that uh, um, it, it talks about how that the end days that, that Israel will be uh, encompassed about. We're talking about the nation of Israel, the nationality of the Israelites. We're talking about nations. Sometimes we think of location. Do you realize that there are children of Israel that live in America? Do you realize that? Do you realize that there is going to be a gathering again of Israel back to one location in Israel, and they are going to come back together, all of them fleeing to that land because they are going to go through persecution? Kind of interesting that the president of Ukraine is Jewish. I learned about that a little bit more of how that he has been involved with uh, what happened in World War II with his dad's family and how that three of the brothers were killed. And, of course, his dad was the only one left. And then, of course, he had this son. And they're pretty proud of their boy running the Ukrainian uh, as the president and also staying there and saying, I'll fight with you. I think of Vitaly this morning, and I'll show this video of tonight maybe or maybe next Sunday about him saying, why am I going to stay here? It takes a lot to stay in one place if there's a war. What would you do? I remember listening to Dr. Daryl Champlin saying, I'm going to stay here in the Congo during the, the war there and how the family stayed through it and how they were able to abide there with the... And you know, when the, when the war was over, the people loved him even more, even though he was a white man. There's nothing wrong with being white, by the way. Just in case you were wondering. Nothing wrong with being black or brown or tan. I, uh, I always am impressed with tan people because I just... I go outside and come back in, and I just get beat red. I get burnt bad. I get blisters. Everyone say, aw. I feel better now. But when it comes to this kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and it, this verse talks about Jesus here, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob. He shall reign over the house of Israel forever. And the kingdom, uh, his kingdom, there is no end, and there shall be no end to that kingdom, gives me hope 
It gives me uh, encouragement because if I'm part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, then I have hope that there is no end to his kingdom. As we look at it from a biblical perspective and a, and a prophetic perspective, we remember what Jeremiah said, that there's going to be a rock that was hewn out of the mountain, the rock of ages, Jesus Christ, and he was going to fall onto these kingdoms and he was going to crush them. The kingdom of Jesus Christ will crush all nations. So if you think that Putin's a big shot, he's just a little bitty, little red ant is what he is in God's eyes. He's a small, you think, well, he's big stuff. No, he's not. He's not a man. Putin sits 12 feet away from anybody when he has a meeting. Not because of COVID. Because he's afraid that the people around him might take a knife and cut him. But when I was thinking about the kingdom of heaven and, and, and putting it all together, I couldn't help but read this from a small article. It says, in his 1942 devotional called Abundant Living, E. Stanley Jones, a Methodist doctor and missionary in India, wrote these words. He said, the early Christians did not say in dismay, look what the world has come to. But in delight, they would say, look who has come to the world. They saw not merely the ruin, but the resource for the reconstruction, if you would, of that ruin. They saw not merely the sin that did abound, but the grace that did much more abound. And on that assurance, the pivot of history swung from the blank, or from blank of despair, and, to, and, and loss of moral nerve, the fatalism, if you would, to faith and confidence that at last sin had met its match, that Jesus Christ was going to be able to conquer sin and death. And when it comes to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, we know that all power was given unto him, all power. He is, he is capable of doing anything because he is Jesus. And so Christ was content with maybe just a stable when he was born so that we could have a mansion when we get to see him. I thought about that, and each of the Gospels actually bring out a little more. I was thinking about Matthew and how that the Gospel of Matthew portrays him as Christ the King. And how the Gospel of Mark shows us that Christ is the servant, if you would, the Gospel of Luke speaks of Christ the man, and the Gospel of John proclaims Christ's deity. I like John. It seems like there's more sensitivity to the world from John. He's able to express that Jesus Christ is the answer to the problems of this world. I think if you were in Ukraine this morning, you would see many uh, civilians being attacked, attacked also. Right before the service today, I was at home going over some notes and so on, and then it came up that one of my friends in Ukraine had sent a video, and I watched people um, just were coming across the street with their luggage, were blown up. It's sad. That's part of war. And it, it hurts my heart. You know, I think that if you've been to missions, I know, Bob, you've been 
overseas, and you've seen people, and you're, you fall in love with them, and your heart is with them, and my heart is with the Ukrainian people this morning. My, my heart is with the kingdom of heaven this morning. For those that have trusted Christ as their personal Savior. And I was thinking about the opportunities that these people are having. I got another video that's on uh, the Beam website. I was looking at that one also. I contacted Sam Saboni, he texted me back and said, look at this video. And I was watching that video, and there's a pastor saying they're using their church for a refuge. He says, I've only got them for a little while. They're coming in with their luggage. They're staying overnight for a few nights, and then they're feeding them, and then they're on their way as they travel to the West by foot to try to get out of the country. See, we know none of that. We're comfortable. We're going to get into our luxurious cars today after the service is over, and we're going to be able to turn the music on and kind of forget all of this. But let me tell you something. The world is a mess in that part of the world anyway. And I want you to know that what's happening is they're getting closer and closer to the one world order, even when it comes to the finances, one world bank, one world religion. And so let me talk to you a little bit about every time we talk about the birth of Christ and the Redeemer. A lot of us are focusing on him as the Savior. We're focusing on him probably have, perhaps as a little boy growing up in a carpenter's shop. We're thinking about him as there is portrayed, I think, in that the Chosen has put together all kinds of different stories as you can watch and be able to see what was happening in the Bible days. It's interesting to see it all. But I want to zoom in on something and talk to you about the fact of Jesus Christ being the king of kings, if I can. That Christ is the king of his kingdom. It's interesting that Luke brings, not, brings out not only Christ as man, but also here in our text he brings out Christ as a ruling king. In Luke chapter 1, you have it in front of you, verse number 32 and 33 says, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. Matthew puts it this way, Now when the days of Jesus, or when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of, of Herod the king, behold, there came men from the east, to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we shall, or we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And so if we're focusing on Jesus Christ, not as a baby in the manger, and not as a person in the carpenter shop, and not just as our savior, if you would, or the resurrected Christ, uh, we want to look at him as being the king of his kingdom. And every kingdom has a king. I think it's important for us to understand the origin of his kingship, if I can, for just a moment. Where did he come from? He came from above. And he shall reign. Daniel chapter 2, verse number 44 says, In the days of these things shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and, and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. The book of Daniel says in chapter 7, verse number 9, And I beheld the thrones were cast down, and the ancients of days did sit, 
whose garments was as white as snow, and the hairs of his head was like pure wool, and his throne was like a fiery flame, and his wheels as the burning fire. This is speaking of Jesus Christ in the book of Daniel. And the reason why I know that, because it goes back in Revelation chapter 1, the Bible says, in verse number 13, it says, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt with a paps with a golden girdle, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were, eyes were as a flames of fire and his feet like unto fine brass, and as if they burned like a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Pretty powerful statement because it's talking about the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And in the seven churches that were involved, which I believe is a chronological order of time, and I believe we are in the Laodicean church, and I believe that it is close to the second coming of Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 4, verse number 1, it tells us, And after these things, the church age, I saw a door that was open in heaven, and, and, and a voice, and someone had shout, and of course, immediately, he was in the presence of those that were in heaven. John saw these things. And John connects with Zechariah, of course, because of the prophecy. In John chapter 12, verse number 15, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king comes, sitting upon the Anassas colt. And when we see Jesus in the manger, we tend to think of the Savior, the Redeemer, the Deliverer. And these are not wrong views. Don't get me wrong. We should, we should look to him as, as the Savior and so on. But he's also the king. He's the king of everything. When I think of a king, I always think of, uh, of somebody with a big, long ro robe, and red robe with a crown on his head. Don't you think that way when you think of a king sitting upon his throne and having his jesters, if you would, or his people sitting next to him? The Bible gives it very clear description, but we see Jesus here, according to Luke chapter 2, verse number 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. We know him as Christ the Lord. But this is clearly referring to his kingship, if you would. The term Christ is also referring to the anointed one. The origin of Jesus Christ is from above. That's where he came from came out of eternity and was able to come into time. It's one of those things that kind of just blow your mind a little bit, but the authenticity of Christ is in the scriptures, and we believe this by faith. The term Christ is also referred to the anointed one. In the Bible times, when somebody is anointed, it's talking about kings and priests being anointed by oil. They were then ready to rule. So there's a royal dignity with the anointed one. There is also the royal status, if you would, of being the king. There was also the royal sovereignty, if you would. Matthew chapter 2, verse number 11 says, And when they were come into the house, they saw a long, young little child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened up their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh because he is the king. See, sometimes we forget that he is the king from above. The origin of his kingdom. Let's talk about the object of his kingdom for just a moment. What is the object of his kingdom? 
What is the object of Putin's kingdom? We already know that. I talked about it. What is, what is the object of your desire? Are you the object of it? Are, are your perception of people, is that the object of your desire? To perception? How do people see you? You know, I go back to tell you this, and I say it again. You have the audience of just one. And make sure that you know that before God, you are truly his child and that you do desire him. And so I was talking about the object of his kingship, and I put this down, all who come to him. And so he shall reign over the house of Israel, over Jacob, forever. And for his kingdom, there shall be no end. So we need to ask ourselves, is Jesus Christ my king personally? Is he personally my king? Luke chapter 2, verse number 11. Some may say that he is the Savior, but he isn't just Israel's king, according to the scriptures. He can also be your king. And every soul that comes to Christ will have the peace from a Savior who loves us, from a God who cares and who will provide for us just like a king would take care of his people. Is he on the throne of your heart this morning? Then we ought to obey him. I think obedience is evidence that someone is born again. The Bible says in John 15, verse number 4, New Testament, you are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you, or in the Greek, since you belong to me, and since you are my friends, you should do whatsoever I command you. 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, Hereby we do know that we know him, because he's our Savior, if we keep his commandments, so the king has commandments. He saith, I know him, and keeps not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. This is kind of difficult for me to talk about, but yet it isn't. That somehow we think that we can be disobedient to God and still call him our king. Now, this is a very serious thing, because we're talking about a narrow road versus a wide road. It, t- it talks about those that are going to be his disciples will say, listen, I'm going to lay my life down just like he did. I'm going to pick up the cross and I'm going to, 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 to pursue him and not my own desires. And so this world wants to, a savior, but then they want to choose their own king. And they usually choose the one in the mirror. Unfortunately. I think... Samuel, if you want to write it down in Samuel's warnings toward those looking for an earthly king in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 22, give us that understanding of those that are looking for a king. But I want to take an insert, if you would, uh, something that I had read, and I want to put it down as far as who Jesus Christ is. Because if we're looking at, at him being the king of a kingdom, and we being part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, who is he? Well, the Bible says that he is the king of the Jews. He is the king of Israel. He is the king of righteousness. He is the king of ages. He is the king of heaven. He is the king of glory. He is the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Taking this from another pastor, he said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show his handiwork. He is enduringly strong. He is 
entirely sincere. He is internally steadfast. He is unparalleled. He is unprecedented. He is supreme. He is preeminent. And he supplies strength for even the weakest of us. He is available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes. He saves. He guards. He guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the leper. He forgives sins. He discharges the debtor. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He, he, he rewards the diligent. He is the key of knowledge. He is the wellspring of wisdom. He is the doorway of deliverance. He is the pathway of peace. He is the roadway of righteousness. And he's the highway of holiness. He is the gateway of glory. He is the master of the mighty. He is the captain of the conquerors. He is the head of the heroes. He is the leader of the legislatures. He is the overseer of the overcomers. He is the governor of governors. He is the prince of peace. And he is the king of kings. That's who Jesus Christ is. And that's who we are part of the kingdom of Christ. He's the Lord of lords. And his mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteousness. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. The preacher goes on to say, I wish I could just describe him to you. (laughs) He is incredible. He is incomprehensible. He is invincible. He is irresistible. He is the witness that cannot be rejected. And Herod could not kill him, and death could not handle him, and the grave could not hold him, and the grave cannot hold you if you have been part of his kingdom. And we are the objects of this king, the heavenly king. Our heavenly king desires complete obedience with a whole heart, all of our love, complete trust, unaltered faith, the best of our times, the best of our days, the best of our offerings, the best of what we have. He deserves all of that. Selfless service, never for your benefit, but for his. I was watching yesterday as people were setting up in the gym, young little girl about 10 years old vacuuming the gym. The last thing I did last night was say, Thank you, Brother Darrell. I'll see you tomorrow morning as he's vacuuming up water from downstairs. Maybe a small task to some, but he's taking care of what God has given him charge over. And let me tell you something. It's not me, folks. When Grace Baptist Church is going to be judged, it's not just me. It is all of the servants of Grace Baptist Church. And we will stand before him. So we are the objects of his kingship. Our heavenly king desires complete obedience. Not for our own benefit, but for his. Does he have the right to be our king? Absolutely. There must be a breaking down first before there is going to be a building up. Even for the saved, if we desire true revival, there must be tearing down of selfishness and self-desires and ambitions that are not part of what God has. We have 
ice on the sidewalk, we break it and remove it. Sometimes it's cold and very difficult. I was watching a man the other day taking a scraper and scraping the ice off his sidewalk so he could lay a little salt down. And sometimes we get like that. Our hearts get hard, and sometimes we get an exaggerated opinion of ourselves, but we also get an exaggerated opinion of how we are doing before the Lord. And when someone says, how are you doing? And we say, great. Are you really doing great? No, you're not. We're all struggling. We may think we have all the answers. We do not. We need him. We need our king. So there must be a breaking down of the fallow ground so the righteous rain can fall from above. I think about how that the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verses 2 through 6, says, And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God, for he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places, and he broke down the images, and he cut down the groves, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God and their fathers and to do the law and the commandments. And also he took away out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the images, and the kingdom was quiet before him. In other words, there was peace because they worshipped one God, the God of heaven. That's the origin of his kingship. It's from above. The object of his kingship, if you would, would be you and me. He's desiring for you to come to him. All of your problems and difficulties and everything you're going through today is because he's calling you to himself. And then you can say, I know that I can trust him, and I want to give him all of the pain and all of the troubles that I have. I was preaching at a, at a funeral just this last week on Thursday, Thursday, and, and thank you for praying for me because I sensed the power of God. It was standing room only. I've never seen something like this before. Nobody left. The place was full. It was packed. You couldn't even get around in this funeral home. And the person wasn't a great Christian. They were just a Christian, but they weren't great. Let me tell you something, folks. You can be a Christian and be the almost unfriendly person if you're not careful. You can say, well, I'm taken care of. Everything's okay with me. Some of the friendliest, most sweetest, most lovingly people are not just Christians that are on fire for God, but they're Christians and they're having troubles and struggles. I'm talking about relationship problems. But they're the most loving people. We're missing it sometimes because we think that we're okay when we're really not. Our king knows our condition, and he wants to help us. And Sometimes we have chambers of our heart that we think we can hide from God. And, and I don't think necessarily we're hiding it from God for a bad reason. We say, God, don't go there. It hurts so bad that I don't want to talk about it. It hurts so bad that I don't want anybody to know as I started to give an illustration about how that God allows burdens to come into our lives, I watched the congregation. I saw a man sitting in the back, and I could barely see him because all of the people standing, and he was sitting next to somebody that I knew, and I watched his eyes begin to fill up with tears, and he hadn't cried for years. But at a funeral, he wept before God, and God is speaking to him, and God is drawing him and saying, I want you to be part of my kingdom. But you've got to humble yourself. There's no prideful punks in his kingdom. There's no educated elites in his kingdom. In his kingdom, there are humble servants, people that are average people, common people, 
People like you and me. That's part of his kingdom. I need to move on. As we talk about the origin of his kingship, talked about the objects of his kingship, I want to just talk about the obligation, and it's my shortest, my shortest one. I wrote just a little bit on it. But let me tell you something. This is not just a temporary obligation. <laughs> he is not obligated to you just for a short period of time. But let me turn that around. You are not obligated to him just for a short period of time. Not just for a little time till you get better health and then you're going to go your own way. You draw close to him because you've got some issues because you can't pay any bills. And so you draw close to him for a little while. You got some relational issues, maybe going through a divorce or, or having someone pass away. And your heart is so burdened and heavy that you go to him. And as soon as you get your strength back, you walk away from him. Your obligation to the king is forever because his obligation to you is forever. The Bible says very clearly that he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and the kingdom there shall be no end. Isaiah 9-7, we're so familiar with 9-6, but let me just read 9-7. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform it. Let's go back to James because he was strong. In James chapter 1 verse number 21 he said, Wherefore lay apart all your filthiness and your superfluity and your naughtiness and receive the meekness of the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. The obligation to him is so powerful. We were hunting. It's been quite a few years, maybe 20 years ago, and my dad was with us, and the boys were all with us, my brothers. We liked to go way up where it cost a lot of money to stay in a cabin. We used to do that. We used to like to spend $1,000 just to go hunting. I don't like to do that anymore. I filled up my truck yesterday, so I'm really thinking about getting a motorcycle or a moped. So if you hear this little, here comes Pastor. But we were up hunting, and, and we were always told that if you, if, you, if you get lost, guys, I want you to shoot your gun up into the air three times. Shoot once. Wait a little while. Shoot again. Wait a little while. And shoot again, and we'll know that's a sign. My dad had me so scared that if I go too far into the woods, that the woods were going to suck me in. <laughs> so I would walk into the woods early in the morning, just far enough so that no one else could see me, just wait till it got light, and then I'd go in a little further. I remember there was a deer stand that I had built it ourselves. And can you believe this? We built these, I built this deer stand out of tobacco poles and barns. How many of you have ever seen tobacco poles and barns? Okay. Pretty strong wood. They've been endured through the years. So we made these stands, and then we put them together and put them in a truck, three of them. We took them all the way up north. We drug them all the way back into the woods. And we would put them up. No wonder I got a bad back. I mean, that stand would be higher than the highest part of that corner up there. And I would put that up against the tree. I'd climb up there. Man, I was like the king of the woods, you know. And I remember one time we were hunting up there, and 
my brother said, uh, hey, Dean, you got a deer yesterday. Can I use your stand? I said, sure, you go ahead and use it. And he got up and little redheaded Darren got up in the, my stand, and I said, Darren, let me tell you something, though. Make sure you make some marks, you know, so you know how to get back to the road. So he said, no problem. So he said, go ahead. It was in the afternoon hunt, so he left in about 2 o'clock, maybe a little bit earlier than that. So I went down the road a little bit and hunting with my other brother and my father, and we were all in the woods, and it was getting dark, and pretty soon it gets kind of weird up there. We were up by Glidden. Anybody know where Glidden is? You know where Butternut is? Park Falls, and then Glidden, and Butternut. And then there's who know what's in those woods, you know. Because some people have been lost there, and they never have been found. That's what my dad told me. I was thought, what if I come upon one of those guys that was lost and was never found? And what if, I, what if he hurts me? I'm serious. I'm a little skinny kid up there hunting. A little freaked out about that statement. But Darren knew that if he got lost, he'd be in trouble. And so we put him up in the tree stand, and he was hunting up there. He had a great time, but it got dark. Pretty soon the coyotes were barking a little bit, and that didn't scare us too bad until the wolves started to bark a little bit, howl. And so we got together, and we said, you know, everybody's back. It's wonderful, except for Darren. And so we really didn't know where he was. We couldn't hear him. We started hollering for him, and so everybody got their trucks down into this little valley, and where I was, there was I, I, I found this spot because I followed bear tracks to it. There was a crack in these big rocks. I think the bear was in there, I think. But I was hunting on top of them. And I, and I remember thinking about Darren, thinking, you know, I thought, when are we going to make it out? Well, it was dark, man, about an hour after dark, and we still didn't have, still didn't have any sign of Darren at all. And all of a sudden I heard bang, 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 bang three times. That's not how you're supposed to do it. And you don't put the gun up here either. Uh, but we could hear him way in the distance and make a long story short. We waited and we waited and we waited. And his voice was getting further away instead of closer. Uh, he was in the swampy area in the woods. He was in the part where some guys get lost and never come back. So I took my old Dodge pickup truck and I went to a hill and I parked and I turned the lights on. And I said, Darren, come to the light. See the light. And he starts running through the woods. And, and by the time he got back to the, to the road, he had shot shells off. Bing, bing, bing. Bing, 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 bing. You know, bing, 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 bing. I mean, if a wolf come on time, he wouldn't know. What was he going to do if a wolf came or if a coyote got? And he didn't really care about his rifle anymore or the condition of it. He just wanted to get out of there because he was lost. He was looking for those lights and drawing toward those lights. Finally, he got to the place where we could hear him, and I went in about 50 yards into the woods, and I picked up my brother. He couldn't hardly walk, and he was bawling. And we placed him next to the, my dad. My dad was standing there. My, my dad had already watched his brother drown, and two of his brothers were murdered, and my dad thought he was going to lose him. He hugged him and held him, and It's, it's pretty difficult for me to, to, to talk about how he felt, because I don't know how he felt. But I think he kind of felt like a person who was in the world system, lost, nowhere to go. And, and the light was there on the hill, and you were trying to get to it. 
and, and all of the briars and all of the things were trying to hold you back and all of the spooky sounds and all the things of the world were entangling you and keeping you away from the light. But the light's there. The understanding is that Jesus is that light. And the understanding is that his kingdom is full of his people. And once you reach it, by the way, it's by faith. There's nothing but love for you there. Think about it for just a moment. How he felt. Now, Darren never went back hunting in those big woods ever again. In fact, the next day was Sunday. You know what he did? He got some Captain Crunch and a big bowl of cereal and sat and watched cartoons. 18, 19 years old. He just, it just freaked him out. Well, that's what the world will do to you. Or me. And the only hope is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. I said it recently on social media. America is not the kingdom of God. If we're putting our faith and our trust in Trump, I mean, good night. Look what we have right now in our precious land as leaders. Oh, my word, I am so embarrassed and ashamed, to be honest to you. We can do better than this. Wilton Howell could do better than what they're doing. Anybody could do better than what they're doing. But this is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. There is really no beginning and no end. It is forever. And we're going to reach it someday. Whether it's through death or whether it's through the rapture, we're going to be in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I hope that you have him as your king. I hope you've trusted him as Lord and Savior. Not just a, a religion. Not just a five steps to peace. I hope you've embraced him as your Lord and Savior and your friend. Personally. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Have you come to Jesus? You know who he is, but maybe you've never opened your heart to him. Maybe you've never said, Jesus, come in. I'm opening the door of my heart. Would you come in? I want to be part of your kingdom. I believe. Forgive me of my sin. And I turn from my sin to you. I turn from my idols, whether they're the idols of fleshly desires or Whatever it is, I give it all to you. I, forgive me of all of that, and I embrace you. If you've done that, praise the Lord. But if you haven't, why haven't you? He's been calling you since you were born. Come unto me. I'll be your king. Maybe this morning would be the morning that you'd say, I need Jesus as my Savior and my Lord and my King. And why don't you come? If you're a man, I'll have a man show you from the scriptures how you can know for sure. And if you're a woman, I'll have a woman show you. But maybe you just need to come and kneel down and pray. With every head bowed 